Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning again, Voice America listeners, and welcome to Strategies and Solutions with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. I hope that last week you were able to remember to see your successes as you worked through them, what I'm sure was many challenges. Last week's show, I think, went very well. I had many phone calls and emails expressing good wishes and enjoyment in the show. The show's main focus is to remind people that they can be successful in even the toughest situations. Much of what we talked about over the last season has been how to live and work through very stressful lives. Whether the stress is coming from an event the person has gone through or is a neurological issue affecting their overall being, there are interventions to help. So what we have talked about has ranged from frazzled kids to persons that have been placed in horrific conditions causing them stress and ongoing angst, living through the challenges of autism and being able to see pathways for success, looking at issues such as ADHD in a totally different way as a strength rather than a deficit. The overall encompassing area for us to dedicate our, ourselves to is the improvement in mental health practices for all persons living with living with or living with persons with a disability. We've had a lot of stressors going on. We've had everything from threats of nuclear war to terrorist acts to <clears throat> school districts having challenges to an abundance of issues that have caused what did I read the other day that there are more anti-anxiety medications prescribed in 2017 than in the last five years and in, and it's increasing. So, so what can we do? What can we do to assist with mental health and, and mental illness? And this is kind of what we've been talking about on the show this season, focusing more on mental health issues um, the, and stressors and interventions that might assist uh, individuals dealing with stuff. And it seems like everybody is. Everybody's dealing with various levels of stress and anxiousness, but there's also lots of good things going on. We just went through the holidays. I am hoping that you had a good holiday experience and, and it continues into the new year. A lot of people start looking forward to the new year for change and for new things to happen and they will happen but we also can be happy with our successes of of today it's just reminding ourselves to look at them and, and to remember that we do have a lot of things that are very successful in our lives even though we also might have things that are challenging a lot of families having issues together right now a lot of stressors a lot of political conflicts going on so how can we help each other well, according to the U.S. Surgeon General, mental health is a successful performance of mental function resulting in productive activities, fulfilling relationships with other people, and providing the ability to adapt to change and cope with adversity. The term mental illness refers collectively to all diagnosable mental disorders, health conditions characterized by alterations in thinking, mood, or behaviors associated with distress or impaired functioning. A person struggling with their mental health may experience this because of stress, loneliness, depression, anxiety, relationship problems, death of a loved one, suicidal thoughts, grief, addiction, ADHD, various mood disorders, or other mental illnesses of varying degrees, as well as learning learning disabilities. Therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, nurse practitioners, or physicians can help manage mental illness with treatments such as therapy and counseling and medication. Now, there are a lot of different treatments out there, and there's a lot of different ways of looking 
at things. And we, we must remember that mental illness more than likely is the brain, the psyche, the ego's way of protecting itself. So it's going to put thoughts into a repressed mode if they are not going to yield a healthy uh, outcome for the individual by thinking about them. The things that we do that might appear to be mental health problems are actually usually rituals to deal with the mental health issues. Before I talked about obsessive compulsive disorder and how often people are attempting to stop the rituals that the person engages in because they're often dangerous or very repetitive and cause the person more anxiety. But they're also there as a way of making sure that the person has an outlet for the anxiety. So in one area, it will reduce anxiety, but in the other, it might cause more anxiety. And it's usually causing anxiety for people around them. So when we look at mental health, we're not just looking at the person that is dealing with the direct issue, but the people that are living with them and working, living, working around them, being around them. They're also highly affected. And for a long time, you know, the idea was just push people away, put them in hospitals, put them away someplace so that they didn't interfere with the typical everyday individual. Well, it's not the way we look at things anymore. And it hasn't been that way for, well, about 30, 40 years. Um, though we still have institutions, we still have mental health institutions and, and, and hospitals um, that will assist people. But the idea is to allow the community to develop a mental health system. In the mid-19th century, William Sw Switzer was the first to coin the term mental hygiene. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, which can be seen as the precursor to contemporary approaches to work on promoting positive mental health. Isaac Ray, one of the founders and the fourth president of the American Psychiatric Association, further defined mental hygiene as the art of preserving the mind against all incidences and influences calculated to deteriorate its qualities, impair its energies, or derange its movements. A very interesting definition. Let me read that again. It's the art of preserving. Now, this is what mental hygiene is. The art of preserving the mind against all incidents and influences calculated to deteriorate its quality, impair its energies, and derange its movements. Dorothy Dix, uh, Dorothea Dix, uh, she was around in the eight, 19th century, uh, early 1800s to eight, about 1885, 1887. And why is that important? Because that was not a time period where people gave a hoot about mental health. In fact, they really did see people uh, with mental health issues as uh, lesser and people to be completely marginalized away from uh, society. So Dorothea Dix was an important figure in the development of the mental hygiene movement. Dix was a school teacher who endeavored throughout her life to help people with mental disorders and to bright, excuse me, and to bring to light the deplorable conditions in which they were put. This was known as the mental hygiene movement. At the beginning of the 20th century, Clifford Beers founded the Mental Health America. Now, let me go back to Dorothea Dix for a minute. I mean, this is an incredible woman. She was a school teacher. She saw kids in schools, if, if they even came to school, not doing well, not dressed, not fed well, coming from homes that were causing them mental health, what we would now call mental health issues, or childhood adversive events, as we talked about in an earlier show. And she took it upon herself to create a, in a sense, like a boarding house for these kids to be able to stay. And she convinced the parents to allow the kids to stay, saying that she was going to educate them and bring them up into a great society. Because 
obviously, just as is now, the kids may have become what's called the identified patient. And the identified patient is this concept that the kid is the one with the issues. Thus, he's treated, he has the intervention, she has the therapy, the medication, but the environment that the individual is in is not addressed. And thus, the kid becomes the identified patient, and really the problems don't go away. In fact, <coughs> excuse me, the problems could become a lot worse because the kid begins to think that they are the sole reason of the issue. They are the reason, and they can start to believe that they're the reason why their families are falling apart or that their parents are divorcing or all sorts of issues, all based on this, this uh, uh, identification of them being the one that has the problem. Well, more, more kids than not are just born into issues. They're not necessarily a part of the problem, but they react to it. And it's the externalization of the problem that uh, makes them become the ident identified person. If others are hiding the issue, if others are, are, are not addressing their problem, then the kid is going to be the one that becomes the identified patient. And he's going to carry that through his whole life. He's not always only going to be affected by it when he's a child. He's going to be affected by it throughout his childhood and into his adulthood because he's going to think he was the cause of, or she was the cause of, of issues. So mental health and how you approach it, it's so important. And Dorothea Dix was one of those first people to say, okay, you know what? This is not just about this kid. This is not just about this one individual. This is a systems thing. This is about how this this family is functioning together or not functioning together. So it's really incredible to see a person a hundred plus years ago put themselves into a situation which was very different and to bring out a movement, a new movement, in this case, the mental hygiene movement. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. We have a little break. Go get yourself a cup of coffee. Get under a blanket. It's cold out there. And we'll see you in a few. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice. Much of it conflicting. Some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso. To bust through the myths about feeding your baby, Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about mental health issues this morning. I, As I always say, I hope that you're able to get yourself a nice warm drink, get yourself comfortable, and listen to the rest of the show. Um, we were talking about Dorothea Dix, who was a school teacher in the 19th century that really was the first person to ever open up mental health services to kids. Now, one of the issues we've been dealing with over the last oh, four years, three, four years, is that the Department of Mental Health, uh, which funded mental health services in schools and actually supplied counselors and, and therapists in various clinics um, stopped doing that. And instead, the school districts became responsible for the mental health issues. Well, one of the things that goes on in school counseling is that there is a limited number of participants, meaning that, first of all, a lot of kids don't get identified, so they never get the counseling that they need. But the, 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 the bigger issue is that the, the counseling that's supplied is often supplied only to the kid. Therefore, commonly they're missing out on a parent that may be involved in this or another family member, a sibling, grandparent, somebody else that's also involved in the issues and are making the issues or the conflicts or the adversive child event occur. Well, if we never address their issues and we only address the kid's issue, unfortunately what the research has found is that school counseling at times can have a negative effect on kids, meaning that they get kind of worse, not better. And that's not, of course, all school counseling situations, but it, if there is a default in school counseling, it is that the parents and outsiders outside of the kid are not involved. Even the teacher isn't involved. Or the person that the, 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 the child interacts with most often during the day is not involved in the counseling situation. And, and really, what kids need more than anything else is what's called a milieu. And what that means is that they're in an environment or a situation that everybody's kind of thinking in the same direction. That nobody is just, uh, um, nobody is unaware of what other people's goals are or what the ultimate goal for is in the school, which is a successful uh, or school or home or hospital setting, whatever it is, that the, the, the overall goal goal is that everybody is thinking in the same way and is responding to problems and conflicts in the same way. So by doing that, you create a system where there's a lot more security for the individual because they kind of know what's going to happen. They kind of know how people are going to feel, how people are going to think. They, they may reduce their anxiousness due to just kind of knowing that there's a stable thought process going on. Now, unfortunately, though, that doesn't always equate to the real world. And so a milieu is a very good therapeutic environment, but we have to get kids also ready for the real world. So let, let's talk a little bit more about this mental health or mental hygiene movement. At the beginning of the 20th century, Clifford Beers founded Mental Health America, and that was a national committee for mental hygiene after the publication of his accounts from lived experiences in asylums. A Mind That Found Itself was his one book in 1908 and opened the first outpatient mental health clinic in the United States. So again, his name is Clifford Beers. Um, he was kind of known for going from insane asylum or mental institution to mental institution uh, to kind of check out what the scenes were like. And there were other people that were doing this at the same time, a guy by the name of Barton Blatt, 
did the same where he put a camera in his hat and went into mental health facilities in Ohio and took pictures of the deplorable situations and brought that those pictures back. And because of what people were seeing, change was made. That was in the 50s. Now, this is 1908. He talks about the experiences in the asylums. It must have been unbelievable. It must have been a horrific situation to go and investigate. Um, deplorable situations. You know, I have pictures of women standing around in the rooms or, or people standing around in rooms naked. Why? Because they weren't toilet trained. And so they just let them go to the bathroom on the floor and just hose them down at the end of the day. I mean, what a horrible situation. You know, when you drop off your family member or you bring your family member for treatment, quote unquote, and then and the, the actual experience that was had was this horrific treatment, things that you would never see. So you would never know what was going on with your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your grandma or your aunt or uncle. It's very easy to put people away. But what went on there was not exactly therapeutic. So he opened up the first outpatient clinic in the United States. The mental hygiene movement related to the social hygiene movement had, had at times been associated with advocating for eugenics and sterilization. So now, what is that? Eugenics and sterilization. Eugenics is this idea that if you have people in the gene pool, in a sense that have lower skills, lower cognitive abilities, intellectual issues, physical issues, that they bring those problems into the gene pool with them. And if we were to rid ourselves of their genes, we would no longer have individuals with disabilities or low functioning skills or whatever. Well, it's not the case. Because the case is, is that we all carry the same gene pool inside of us. And whether a gene is triggered or a chromosome is triggered or not triggered is, well, that's the miracle of birth. But we commonly look at, at individuals and, and believe that they, uh, if, if we did something to remove part of them from society, then society would be better. Um, I think actually society is much better with people with disabilities in it because it teaches the non-disabled how to care, how to have empathy, how to have understanding towards others that are not as, as um, lucky as they are. Because really, all it takes is a little change on the chromosome and we could all be quite different. So... There was this movement towards sterilization. You know, maybe you're not going to, you know, kill the person, but if you sterilize them, then they couldn't have more children. Well, again, that might stop a certain generation of individuals, but disabilities happen for all sorts of reasons. And what we call disabilities, even autism, may not be such a disability. It may be more about a evolution of the brain and what the brain's doing next and not so much about what uh, uh, it can't do. So it's just a different way of, of, of looking at it. Now, let's go back to this. So the mental hygiene movement was related to that social hygiene movement. Social hygiene, that's a kind of a scary concept. Okay, It's Hitler-ish, unfortunately. And it's the, the getting rid of the lower class. Sterilization and eugenics was the idea also in Nazi Germany. <clears throat> so the hygiene movement had at times been associated with eugenics and sterilization of those considered too mentally deficient to be assisted into a productive work and contented family life. In post in the post-World War II years, references to mental hygiene were gradually replaced by the term mental health due to its positive aspect that evolves from the treatment of illness to the preventive 
and promotive areas of healthcare. Maintaining good mental health is crucial to living a good, long, healthy life. Good mental health can enhance one's life, while poor mental health can prevent somebody from living an enriching life. And, and, and never believe that a physical disability is something that ends a person's good life or an enriching life. I have a lot of good friends that have uh, disabilities and they're lawyers and doctors and teachers and paraeducators and preschool teachers and all sorts of different jobs that they have, but they are able to put some kind of accommodation into place so that they can do their job well. You know, my friend Bebo, uh, he has a lot of issues that he has to deal with on a daily basis, but he's got a helper in the morning that comes and helps him, and then he spends the rest of the day as an attorney working to help other disabled people get what they need. As long as he's got what he needs, he's able to go out and do good work for others. But it's not just about going out and getting a job done. It's about his mental health. He has strong mental health because he has the right supports in place for him. He's not seen as a deficit. He's seen as somebody who is a quite a, a addition to society but requires assistance in order to get dressed and get a meal going. So... These are issues that we can support people with disabilities so that they don't later have mental health issues because then that's a double bind, that they have a physical disability and then they become depressed or anxious because of their disability. And then they've got two issues that they're dealing with. So when we look at mental health, we're looking at ways of supporting people, and we're looking at preventative ways of making sure that people have what they need in order to be successful, in order to have good, enriching lives. So we're going to take another break here in a minute, a couple, couple seconds here, and when we're back, we'll continue our discussion on mental well-being and, and what are some of the things that you can do to have some stability in your life and, and create programs that will support you. So we'll be back in a few minutes. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back. As was just stated, I would love a call-in. Um, it's very, very rare that we get a call-in on the show. Uh, maybe it's the time of the day. Uh, I'm not sure. But um, I'd love to be able to help answer some of your questions. And maybe in the new year, we'll see a, an increase in those call-ins. So we're talking about mental well-being. And mental health can be seen as an unstable continuum where an individual's mental health may have many different possible values. Mental wellness is generally viewed as a positive attribute, even if the person does not have any diagnosed mental health condition. This definition of mental health highlights emotional well-being, the capacity to live a full and creative life, and the flexibility to deal with life's inevitable challenges. Some discussions are formulated in terms of contentment or happiness, Many therapeutic systems and self-help books offer methods and philosophies espousing strategies and techniques vaunted as effective for further improving mental, mental wellness. Positive psychology is increasingly prominent in mental health. Now, now, what does that mean? It sounds so great. Positive psychology. You would think that all psychology you try to be positive. It's trying to look at the successes. It's trying to look at the things that you are able to accomplish and what you can accomplish with supports in your life and not looking only at your failures and and how to deal with the emotional response of the failure. So with positive psychology, you're looking a lot more at the things you are able to do rather than what, what might be called or what I would call problem admiration, looking at the things that you're unable to do and perseverating on them. A holistic model of mental health generally includes concepts based on many, many different areas, including anthropology, education, psychology, religion, sociology perspectives, as well as theoretical perspectives from personality, social, clinical, health, developmental, and other forms of psychology. An example of wellness includes one developed by Meyer, Sweeney, and Whitmer. Um, it includes five life tasks or an essence of, and, and this is really important. So this is what they believe makes up good health. It's an essence of spirituality, work and leisure, friendship, love, and self-direction. And under those, there are, self, there are 12 subtasks, a sense of worth, a sense of control, Realistic beliefs, that's a tough one. Realistic beliefs. We often get so caught up in our irrational belief systems, having conversations with ourselves, believing that we're stating something or things are being stated about us from other people, and we have no idea whether they are or aren't. But our belief systems start to get confounded by the fact that others may be thinking negatively about us. So we start creating these negative schemas ourselves. Okay, so to continue the 12 subtasks, I'll start again actually, but it's a sense of worth, a sense of self-control. Again, those realistic beliefs, emotional awareness and coping, problem solving, creativity, a sense of humor, nutrition, exercise, self-care, stress management, gender identity, and cultural identity. Many different aspects make up what we would say is good mental health. It doesn't just go in one area. Oh, I go see a therapist once a week. Okay, great. That's going to really help you with your problem solving. It's going to help you with your coping. It's going to help you with your sense of worth. But in order to continue, you're going to have to do some exercise, some self-care. You're going to have to learn your stress management. Maybe you learn that with your therapist. 
who you are as an individual, what your sexuality is, what's your gender identity. And your gender identity can open up a lot of different doors. It doesn't have to be whether you're heterosexual or homosexual. It has to do with who, how you see yourself and identifying with either male-identified male roles or female-identified roles, feminine side, ma- masculine side. You have both, yin and yang to you. And your cultural identity is something that you, as an individual, will understand better than any therapist or anybody else where you came from, who your people are. So the components provide a means of responding to the circumstances of life in a manner that promotes healthy functioning. So let's look at, you know, children and young adults, because that's, you know, where we want to spend a lot of our time with preventative mental health. And one of the nice things in schools right now is a a big push towards moral development. And it's the idea that kids will be able to share, cooperate, understand, have empathy for others, have apathy for others, have an understanding where others are coming from, helping others, promoting promoting someone before oneself. So it's, it's good to see that these actions are going on in schools one of the uh, things that we want to focus on is again is our preventative methods around our young children and our young or our children and our young adults so mental health and stability is a very important factor in a person's everyday life social skills behavioral skills and someone's way of thinking are just some of the things that that the human brain develops at an early age Learning how to interact with others and how to focus on certain subjects are essential lessons to learn from, from the time we can talk all the way to when we are so old that we can barely walk. However, there are some people out there that have difficulty with these kinds of skills and behaving like an average person. This is most likely the cause of having mental health issues. A mental illness is a wide range of conditions that affects a person's mood, thinking, and behavior. About 26% of people in the United States ages 18 and older have been diagnosed with some kind of mental illness. However, not much is said about children with mental illnesses, even though there are many that will develop one, even as early as age three. The most common challenges in children include, but are not limited You know, these are just the highest diagnosed things, but are not limited to ADHD, autism, anxiety disorders, as well as depression in older children and teens. Having a mental illness at a younger age is much different from having one in your 30s. Children's brains are still developing and will continue to develop until around age 25. So when mental illness is thrown into the mix, it becomes significantly harder for a child to acquire the necessary skills and habits that people use throughout the day. For example, behavioral skills don't develop as fast as motor or sensory skills. So when a child has an anxiety disorder, they begin to lack the proper social skills and associate many ordinary things with intense fear. This can be scary for the child because they don't necessarily understand why they act and think the way that they do. Many researchers say that parents should keep an eye on their children if they have any reason to believe that something is slightly off. If the children are evaluated earlier, they become more acquainted to their disorder and treating it becomes part of their daily routine. This is opposed to adults who might not recover as quickly because it's more difficult for them to adapt. Mental illness affects not only the persons themselves, but the people around them. Friends and families also play an important role in the child's mental health stability, in many situations, it's a social, it is social skills that we're trying to develop, such as our peers program at Total Programs. So what, what do we attempt to do in the social skills program? Well, a social skill is a competence facilitating interaction and communication with others where social rules and relations are created, communicated, and changed in verbal and nonverbal ways. The process of learning these skills is called socialization. For socialization, interpersonal skills are essential 
to relate to one another. Interpersonal skills are interpersonal acts a person uses to interact with others, such as relating, or excuse me, which are related to dominance versus submission, love versus hate, affiliation versus aggression, control versus autonomy. These are areas that Larry in the 50s came up with. Yeah, good old Timothy Leary coming up with socialization ideas before he was invested himself in years of drug experimentation. And that's why he did it. He was trying to, the reason why Timothy Leary engaged in all the LSD taking was to attempt to find a social outlet that would assist people with mental health issues. Positive interpersonal skills include persuasion, active listening, delegation, and stewardship amongst others. Stewardship is just the most important thing, and we're losing it in our society. It's where one person takes a younger person under their wing and teaches them how to be a human, teaches them how to grow up. And, you know, a lot of people are lost because they don't have that mentorship and they need that mentorship so badly. It's a very big loss to society to see that we've moved from the stewardship or maybe like a mentor-mentee relationship into a relationship where everybody's, you know, trying to beat out everybody else. And that's human nature. It's been around for a long time where we've tried to one-up each other, but This idea of stewardship could be the biggest mental health promoter that there is. Commonly, I look for a benefactor for a child or a young adult to work with them so that they can model the type of behavior and the the type of life that they want. Because it's hard to know what that life's going to be like if you never see it. So... We're going to take another break here, but when we get back, I want to continue this discussion of, for one, stewardship, but our idea of social skills also, and what we can do to help promote learning and, and secure more of a safe environment for people. So we will be back in a couple minutes, and I look forward to sharing some more thoughts. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back. So we're we're talking about social skills. And actually, when we left, we were talking about stewardship. And, you know, I have a lot of different people that come and see me. And they want to know what what therapy their kid needs to be involved in. And so often, especially with males, and I don't mean to sound misogynistic or sexist, but especially with males, they need a mentor. They need somebody to show them what it is to be a man. And I don't mean the physical part. I mean, what is the, the roles that you expect for yourself? And what are the roles that are expected by, of you from others? It's quite hard to be a, a, a male in this world. You're supposed to be able to... Lead a family, lead a business, lead a, a, a community. And, and of, course, of course, women do the same thing. But there is this deep instinctual thing that's been around for a long time where men require that stewardship. And like one of the things that is a great stewardship is the military. Because it allows for that interaction between mentor and mentee. It might be commander and and soldier, but that's a mentor. And so, if that is a a a, a somebody that you can look up to, that will be somebody that guides you. And that's what social skills are about. Social skills are the tools that enable people to communicate, learn, ask for help get their needs met in appropriate ways, get along with others, make friends. Let me go back. Get along, get their needs met in appropriate ways. You know, sometimes when you need attention, you may seek it out in all sorts of ways. And and if you're not getting it in a positive way, you may act out negatively in order to get it. So the only inappropriateness is your way of attempting to get the attention. It's not actually that your attention-seeking itself is inappropriate. Think about that one for a while. So how do we make friends? How do we develop healthy relationships? How do we protect ourselves? And in general, how are we able to interact with the society harmoniously? Social skills build essential character traits like trustworthiness, respectfulness, responsibility, fairness, caring, citizenship. These traits help build an internal moral compass, allowing individuals to make good choices in thinking and behavior, resulting in social competence. The important social skills identified by the Employment and and Training Administration are the following. Coordination, adjusting actions in relation to others' actions, mentoring, mentoring, 
teaching and helping others how to do something, negotiation, discussions aimed at reaching an agreement, persuasion, the action of or effect of persuading someone or being persuaded to do or believe something, service orientation, actively looking for ways to evolve compassionately and grow psychosocially with people, social perspectives, being aware of others' reactions and able to respond to an understanding manner. Social skills are goal-oriented with both main goals and sub-goals. For example, a workplace interaction initiated by new employees with a senior employee will first contain a main goal. This will gather information, and then the sub-goal will be to establish a report in order to obtain the main goal. So... We have different causes of deficits. Gresham in, in social skills. Gresham in 1998 recognized, and he was my dissertation chair, a failure to recognize and reflect social skills as a failure to model the appropriate models and a failure to perform acceptable behavior in particular situations in relation to the developmental and transitional stages. Well. Social skills are deficits are also a discouragement for children with behavioral challenges when it comes to adult adjustment. All of these treatments and interventions are placed to make successful lives for the children. And all these treatments and interventions are in place to make successful lives for people. The main focus of our work is the work of social validity. So what is social validity? Well, social validity is what we do. We do these things in treatment and in our psychological and behavioral fields in order to improve the lives of others. Remember, I've said that part of our challenges are part of our survival. So when we say that we've had lots of challenges in our lives, well, we've actually proven that we're a survivor, survivalist. And it's something to be very proud of and not something to be of shame. It's so hard to deal with some of the the issues. But here on the show, I want to make an attempt each week to share information with you so that you can lead a better life. In 2018, we'll continue our discussions of support services for families and teachers and professionals. We'll discuss orthopedic challenges, sports psychology, language and social development, And we will interview professionals and parents so that you're always getting your info straight from the horse's mouth, straight from people that live it in a daily life. So remember that on Strategies and Solutions, Living the Challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be the new future you dream of having in your life. Until next time, a happy new year. We'll see you in 2018. Blessings on you all. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.